Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the Sabbath, which is quickly approaching. And Lord, we just pray that you will help us to be able to enter in at peace and rest. Um, we thank you for all the things we've been learning. Give us strength and wisdom to apply them. And now, Lord, as we, we talk about a topic that um, is is uh, maybe at least it's not as easy for me to talk about as weeding or something but I pray that you would guide and direct us that you would give us the right balance and that um, you would help it to be an encouragement to those who are here these things we pray in Jesus name amen So this is, a, this is a picture of our farm. This is actually a few years ago, but it's our little piece of heaven on earth. We love it. We actually live in that red barn over there on the second story, and our wash station and everything is on the first story. And um, so we have kind of, well, We've actually, we at one time had more fields over here, but we're, we're continually downsizing. We're wanting to do less and less and do it better. And, and this, is, this is an important point that I'll just make right here. And if, if you ever get the Councils on Agriculture book, Mrs. White um, has, has quite a number of comments directed towards farmers who were trying to expand, get bigger and bigger. And she said, you know, you're putting too much energy into your farms. She said, you need to be investing in Abraham's farm. Um, and so rather than get bigger, which just involves all kinds of headaches and hassles, focus, and, and she says this, to me this is amazing, she says, don't you know that with the blessing of God, 20 acres can produce as much as 100? And so I'm thinking, okay, well, so if we do the ratios there, then one acre should be able to produce as much as five right? At one time when my brother was partnering with us, my brother and his family, we were cultivating around um, seven acres. And that was, that included land that was being um, cover cropped, you know, so we weren't growing cash crops on all of that at the same time. But we've been slowly over the last I guess eight years or so, slowly bringing it down from seven, we're down to right around two, but we'd like to go smaller still. So we have movable hoop houses over here, four of those that have three positions they can be on. And that's where that and these three hoop houses here are where we do our intensive vegetable growing that's our best land you know we've invested the most in it then we have um, 
actually we've reworked this again here. We have 12 3,000 square foot plots right there. So that's basically, I mean, almost an acre of what I consider that this is where we grow things that most market gardeners don't grow like corn and okra and potatoes. You know, most really intensive market gardeners don't grow those crops because you can't make enough on them. But because we can, we, we use our tractor for those. And so it's less labor intensive. So we feel like we can justify it. And again, we, um, because we do a CSA, we want more variety. You know, you can only give people so much lettuce and, and tomatoes. They, you, you gotta have some variety. So we even grow things like melons, which, you know, we don't make money on melons, but we grow them anyway. So that's just uh, a little overview of the farm. And, you know, as I've said to a number of people here this weekend, um, we shouldn't have to be starting farms from scratch. If we had followed the counsels we've been given 150 years ago, we would all just be inheriting our parents' farms. And that's a lot easier than starting a farm from scratch. I can tell you from experience, I know the Silers are starting one from scratch. It's, it's a lot of work. Um, but, you know, we, don't, we wanna be prisoners of hope. So even though we may have to be starting from scratch, our kids, and now, you know, my son Joshua and his wife and my other son Caleb, you know, they're at this point, they're gonna take over the farm and they're gonna have it a lot easier than, than we did. But because they were, they were still around when we were starting out, hopefully they got enough hardship and privation that, that it will carry them through. <laughs> um, so I wanna start with four principles here. And this is from Ben Hartman's book, The Lean Farm. Any of you familiar with that book? I highly recommend it. Okay, somebody's just bought it. You know, it's, it, it's, it's not about how to farm. It's, it's about how to farm smart, how to farm efficiently. And so it's an excellent, excellent book. And he's got these four principles at the end of the book. And I can say I, um, I didn't apply any of these when I started out, I don't think. But I wish I had. So these are all things I learned the hard way. And who was it? Uh, I guess it was Scott Ritzma talking about the 10,000 hour thing. So principle number one, put in your 10,000 hours, develop personal capacity first. Um, you know, and there's a lot of things you can do. Read, take classwork, talk to farmers. You know, there's tons of stuff on YouTube now. 
uh, so you can learn a lot on YouTube. There's all kinds of podcasts. As I was saying a few minutes ago, um, you know, when we started out in the late 90s, our challenge was we didn't know who to learn from. There was nobody out there to teach us. So we're stumbling around in the dark. Now you have the opposite problem. There's so much information that you don't know where to go. It's overwhelming, you know. So who do you learn from? But there's, there's a lot of farmers who are doing it very, very successfully. You know, what I can say for ourselves is the Lord has blessed enough that we're still there after 21 years farming. So, you know, at least we, we say we're supporting our lifestyle of choice. You know, we, we don't, I mean, most people would say, how can you live on your income? And I, I mean, I'll tell you, I'm not afraid to tell you. We, we well, maybe I shouldn't tell you because it might scare you off. <laughs> but we live, I mean, we can, we can comfortably live on less than $30,000. That's kind of our goal, $30,000. You know, but we don't owe anything. And, you know, when you live in the country, that's actually, you can live quite comfortably on that. Uh, if you're in the city, um, you know, forget it. I don't know that you can live on that. Well, I mean, maybe you can, but it's gonna be hard. What's that? Food stamps, yeah. Um, so, I was getting off on a rabbit trail there, but anyway, um, yeah, that's, that's what we learn. I, I lost my train of thought. The information that's available. Yeah, right, okay. So, you know, you got to figure out, um, you got to try to sift through it all now. But the, the beauty of it, it's out there and there are plenty of people to learn from. So, you know, I've underlined here, work on a farm. There's nothing like actually getting your hands in the dirt. You know, you can read all the books. And, and, and again, I encourage reading the books and I encourage watching the YouTube. But until you put your boots on the ground in the farm and get your hands dirty, you really don't know what you're getting into. And in my opinion, well, let me say this, the farmers that I have observed who have hit the ground running, and I know farmers who the first year they made $60,000 and the second year they made $180,000. That's gross. So pretty much across the board, um, small farms, your, your net is about 50% of your gross. That seems to run fairly consistent. Now in the early years when you're building a farm, you know, obviously you're having to reinvest and so you, you may not make that, but you know, our goal is to get down to um, 60%.
or I mean, we're making 60% and 40% is overhead. And I think once we finish our infrastructure development, we can get to that. So, you know, okay, well, to, to finish my thought about these farms that, that hit the ground running, all of those people, this guy I'm talking about, it's uh, Bear Creek Farms up in Petoskey, Michigan. He had worked on farms for years, you know, three or four years he had apprenticed on farms. And so he had seen the way different people do it. He knew how to grow stuff. He knew what he needed to invest in. And so when he got his own farm, he hit the ground running. So that's really a key. Now, I realize that's hard to, you know, I mean, when you've got a family and everything. So th th we're talking ideal. Now, the thing I want to emphasize throughout this is God can make it work even in less than ideal situations. Because like I said, we didn't do any of these. We didn't do any of them. Test in small batches. Make small mistakes rather than big ones. Um, again, you know, we started out with an acre of strawberries, boom, you know, 17,000 plants, and we had no idea what we were doing. It was, it was a big mess. It really was. So, again, this is ideal, but, you know, if you want to grow strawberries, you know, plant a few hundred and see how you do and you learn from the mistake. You are going to make mistakes. There's no way around it. You will make mistakes, even if you've read all the books, because even they're making mistakes. But make small mistakes if you can. Number three, and this is a big one, add infrastructure capacity in small increments. Only add it as you need it and are capable of using it well. Boy, I have seen this so many times. That it just makes me sick when I hear, I, I, I don't want to mention specific places, but there's a school I know, um, an Adventist school somewhere in this country that was given a lot of money to start an agriculture program. And, you know, they sunk a lot of money into the program. And to my knowledge, it's, it's kind of languishing, if going at all, I'm not sure. But that's, that's a story that's often, often repeated. Um, the, the most dangerous thing you can do is pour a lot of money into something you don't know what you're doing. Okay? So money becomes a curse. And, and I can say this from even our own experience. You know, when my brother and his family joined the farm, we had a very loose partnership, but we kind of tallied up the amount of money we had invested into the farm so far and we said okay if you invest the same amount then we'll be partners so we had this you know fairly large influx of cash 
all at once. Mm. And, you know, although we, we did a lot of good things with it, there were a lot of things that, looking back, I wish we hadn't invested it in. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So this is a really key. You, you build infrastructure as you need it. So, you know, you've got a greenhouse and you're selling lettuce out of it. As soon as you have maxed out the capacity of that, then you build your second one. But you don't go out and build four right away unless you know you have the market to support it. Okay? And the last one here is avoid bad debt. Now, you know, debt is, is a four-letter word, right? Um, again, I have to be careful what I say because I know it's rather controversial. But from my study of the Bible and my study of the spirit of prophecy, debt is not sin. Debt is not sin, but debt is not a desirable place to be. And if you are in debt, you want to get out of it as quickly as possible. Okay, I think that is a biblical principle. So you may have to incur some debt in the process of building your farm. But there's good debt and there's bad debt. And this is my tweaking of his, his definition. Bad debt is spending money you don't have to finance a scheme you haven't market tested and that could easily flop. So it's based on speculation. Speculation is bad debt. If you go out and say, okay, I'm gonna, pour, I'm gonna invest $100,000 in a market garden because Connor Crickmore is making big money doing it, so I guess I can too, right? That's bad debt, because that's speculation. You don't, you don't have the market, you don't have the skills, but good debt would be investing in equipment or infrastructure that will pay for itself in a reasonable amount of time and yield returns for many years afterward, and it's based on market demand, so again, if you know, if you have restaurants or people who are saying, man, I would buy. So we, uh, let me just share this. We, um, the Lord really opened up the doors for us just in the week before we came down here. We have realized, and I don't want to get too sidetracked here, but our farmers market sales have been slowly declining over the last few years and i think it's a trend pretty much across the country so we have a very good farmers market but when we look back at our sales they're slowly declining and so we're saying okay what do we do here you know we really don't want to take on another farmers market Farmers markets are a great thing, but they're also a really hard thing. Um, so how do we, we've got to bump up our income a little bit. You know, we've got, we're supporting two families now off the farm and our youngest son is wanting to come on board. So we've got to, we've got to bump up the income a little bit. 
So we just got contacted by a fellow grower who we've worked with some for many years. He says, you know, I'm really phasing out of this. My partner got out of it last year. Would you be willing to help supply the need? You know, we, we sell about a thousand bags of lettuce mix and about 50 pints of cherry tomatoes each week and, you know, um, this and this and this. And we're saying, praise the Lord, you know, we can handle that, you know. But, I mean, we're talking about six, seven hundred dollars a week in sales just from this outlet. But the point is, you know, he's telling us this is what we've been selling. So we know we've got a, a pretty guaranteed market mm -hmm. so we can invest more in whatever we need to do to grow that with a pretty good, I mean, there's no guarantees, but a pretty good um, confidence that we're going to get a return on that investment. Does that make sense? So you see the difference between good and bad debt. Now, don't go out and say I'm encouraging you to go in debt, you know, but there may be a time and place where that's what needs to happen. Okay, so then I've added just a few things, and some of this may kind of be repeating, but Start small and have an off-farm income to finance your farm. Um, and again, we're talking ideal here. Again, we didn't do any of this, you know, so I'm preaching to myself here. I'm, I've learned from doing it the hard way. But if you can, again, learn how to grow, become a good grower before you're dependent on it. And then you can, you can take the next step. But, um, you know, if you go cold turkey, um, you're going to suffer withdrawal symptoms. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, I, I have to bring the balance because I believe if God calls you to something, his biddings are enablings. Amen. Now, you know... You got to be wise. You, you don't want to be foolish, but I'm sure there are plenty of people who thought we were not foolish. We were crazy. Number two, look for God to open doors. Is this his plan for you? Do you feel confident that he is calling you to farm for a living? And I'm, you know, I'm assuming you're here. We're talking about financing your farm. So I'm assuming you're, you're looking at it from an income point of view. Okay, so this ends at five, right? Yeah. So um, if God is calling you to it, as we said, his biddings are enablings. He's got a thousand ways to provide for us, right? And I'll just tell you a quick story. This isn't a direct farming story, but it's, it's a country living story, and it could have been a farming story. So I'll try to just really tell it briefly. But my brother-in-law, my wife's brother, 
um, came under conviction on country living. He was living in the suburbs of D.C. there, and he wanted to move out. So through a series of providences, he felt like God pointed to a specific area in West Virginia, impressed him that this is the area. And so he drew a, a, a circle around this town on a map, and on their free weekends, they would drive over there and just drive around. They didn't have money. He was, he was a sing. well, no, I, yeah, I guess he had remarried at this time. He was a single father for many years, four little kids. Um, but anyway, I'm trying to make it short here. They found this perfect place. It even, I mean, this is amazing. It had two stone pillars at the entrance. It was this, it's a gorgeous farm in this valley up in the mountains of, of West Virginia. And it had on the stone pillars S and P. His name was Stan and his wife was Piper. And they said, this is it. This is for us. So they, they went into town and started asking around, whose land is this? And they found out it was a, a big investor from the city, from D.C., who was buying up all this land. I think he had grown up in the area or something. So he'd bought up hundreds, thousands of acres. But he was living in D.C. They got a hold of his number, called him up, and they had this conversation and the long and short of it is that when he was a kid, he had a grandmother who was an Adventist and read him stories out of the blue Bible story books. And he said, do you know where I could get a, a copy of those books in the King James Version? You know, they used to quote out of the King James and Stan said, yeah, I know. I've got a copy, actually, he said. He said, I'll tell you what, you can stay on that farm as long as you want, free of charge, wow. if you'll give me those books. <laughs> so he lived there, I'm not sure how many years, eight years or something, didn't pay a penny of rent. The guy actually paid him, well, the guy put money, it was a very old farmhouse, and so Stan fixed it up, but the guy paid for all the improvements. So just a story, one story, I've heard many more, of God's thousand ways. So look for God's open doors. You know, I think... There's an incredible opportunity in Adventism, and I, I haven't quite figured out how to make it work, but there's a lot of aging Adventists who have land because they were convicted years ago they were supposed to get out of the cities, and whether they ever moved out or not, they bought the land, right? So now you've got this situation. A lot of older people, elderly people with land, who don't have the time and energy and knowledge to do anything with it. And you've got all these young people or a growing number of young people who are saying, I want to do this, but I don't have land. You see the picture here? Yeah. 
I believe there's a way we could try to to connect the dots. Okay, now this is the big one here. Don't necessarily reject government funding. You know, you definitely want to read the fine print. You don't want to be beholden to anybody. But I want you to consider these quotes because th when I read this, it changed my whole, my whole way of thinking. There's a chapter in, in Councils on Stewardship. Well, I'll tell you where it is in just a second. But here's, here's a couple quotes. Just as long as we are in this world and the Spirit of God is striving with the world, we are to receive as well as to impart favors. We are to give to the world the light of truth as presented in the sacred scriptures, and we are to receive from the world that which God moves upon them to do in behalf of his cause. The Lord still moves upon the hearts of kings and rulers in behalf of his people, and it becomes those who are so deeply interested in the religious liberty question not to cut off any favors or withdraw themselves from the help that God has moved men to give for the advancement of his cause. So, you know, don't get so caught up in religious liberty that you turn down money that could be used to advance the cause of God. Now, is having a farm advancing the cause of God? Well, I hope so. I mean, that's the goal, right? That we're giving people healthy food, we're, giving we're getting opportunities for evangelism. I believe this is the cause of God. The Lord God of Israel has placed his goods in the hands of unbelievers but they are to be used in favor of doing the works that must be done for a fallen world. The agents through whom these gifts come may open up avenues through which the truth may go. They may have no sympathy with the work, so they may not even be believers at all. And, excuse me, and no faith in Christ and no practice in his words but their gifts are not to be refused on that account. You know, you can go to the Bible, the story of, of Jesus and the gift of the Magi. Those were Gentiles, right? Weren't they? Yes. Yeah, they weren't Jews. So the Gentile, how did, how did Joseph and Mary support themselves in Egypt? It was through the gifts of the Magi, the wise men. So even Jesus himself took gifts from, well, I guess you wouldn't call them heathen, but from outsiders um, to, for his own support. So there's a chapter in Councils on Stewardship titled The Wealth of the Gentiles. I would encourage you, if you're one of those, and I'm not trying to force my opinion or my ideas on you and if you have strong convictions you got to live by your convictions but I would just encourage you if you're one of those who are saying no way I don't want to take any government money I don't want to take money from from non-believers or any of those things I would encourage you to rethink it pray about it because 
from my reading, that's what Mrs. White is talking about here. So let me just give you an example of this. And um, those who live in Tennessee, you're, you're lucky because, um, no, I shouldn't say you're lucky. I don't like to use that word. You're, you're blessed because the state of Tennessee, the Department of Agriculture, has what they call the TAEP, the Tennessee Agricultural Enhancement Program. The cool thing about this, and I just love this, it's the best thing I think our state maybe has ever done. You remember years ago when they had the big tobacco settlements, every state got like, I don't know, you know, millions and millions of dollars from the tobacco companies with the big lawsuits. Tennessee invested that money. And guess where it's going? To farmers. Isn't that incredible? I'm using tobacco money that was killing people to now build my farm and provide people with life-giving food. I feel really, really good about taking that money. <laughs> so the way it works is you have to and, and I'm telling you this, I know a lot of you don't live in Tennessee, but I know many other states have similar kinds of programs. So I just want to encourage you to look to your states, their, their, your state agricultural departments. And I'm going to give you some resources later that I think can help you with this and say, what do you have for small farmers? What resources do you have? So you apply every year you you know it's a bit of a, a hassle you've got to come up with a proposal and everything but they're making it easier it actually was easier this year and then you send it in there's a deadline and if they approve and we've been very fortunate i think we've been approved like probably close to 10 times and this can be for up to um, your project can be up to $30,000, and it's a 50-50 it's a split. So you've got to do the project, you turn in your receipts, and they reimburse you 50% of the cost. Hey, you know, we're building our farm. And I can say most of our farm has been built with TAEP money. Now again, we've made some mistakes with that. If we go back to what we were talking about earlier, you know, it's very easy to think, wow, you know, I'm getting this free money, so to speak. And so we've bought some things that I wish we hadn't. So again, you got to be careful not to build faster than you should just because it's cheap cheap money, so to speak. Um, but it's been a huge blessing. I mean, we have eight hoop houses and six of them have been built with TAEP money. Thousands, tens of thousands of dollars. 
we've gotten from the state of Tennessee. The only fine print is that you've got to use whatever equipment you purchase with this for its intended purpose for three years. Now, I think they just upped it to four years. Or is it, okay, five. So if you build a hoop house, you've got to use it for growing vegetables for five years. Well, that's okay. I can handle that kind of restriction, right? You know, if I buy a piece of tractor equipment, I can still turn around. It was three years, or was it four years? Three or four years. Um, but they did just up it to five. But, you know, I can turn around and sell it after five years for half price, and I just use that equipment for free for five years. Hey, it's been a blessing to us. Um, the other one I'll just mention here is one that all of you can... Now, there, let me back up and just say there are some restrictions on this money. Um, you do have to have some... You do have to have... Uh, you probably know better than I just because, you know, you're, you're kind of newer at this, but I, I think... You have to have like two Schedule F's. You all know about Schedule F's. If you're farmers, that's the schedule you file for your taxes. Uh, so, you know, you can't use it if you've never farmed before. You have to have a little bit of a track record, you know, a couple of years of experience before they're going to invest in your farm. Because, you know, that makes sense. They don't want to just throw their money away. So there are a few little qualifications there. They want you to go to some trainings and stuff. Hey, you know, I'm all for training. So, um, But the, the federal government also has the NRCS grants. Are you familiar with that? Yes. They're trying to encourage people to build hoop houses. <laughs> and they will pay. And this is not a 50-50. This is they will pay. Um, now somebody was telling me they got like 10,000 or something. We've, we actually just got another one of those. Um, it's like 7,800 or something. Um, well, man, I think I got ripped off because... <laughs> Well, I'm planning to build a bigger one, but they said that was the cap. So one thing I've learned about this, and this is just illustrating it, is different parts of the country. It, it's all about your local person. Some of them are like trying to give you the money and others, you got to dig it out of you, you know, squeeze it out of them. Hey, they say I'm supposed to get this. So, you know, hopefully you've got a good agent that can help you with this. Do you have to be a registered farmer? Do you have to be a registered farmer? That's a good, good question because... You can answer it. Okay. Okay, so, so he's talking about Georgia. You have to have two years of evidence. And this is a federal program, but I can tell you I know of people... <laughs> 
and I, I shouldn't say where because that might um, point. I know of people who are not farmers who've gotten it, and I don't think they were dishonest. I think it's just that some agents, like I say, are trying to give this money away, and others are much more. Okay, there's lots of comments here. Okay, so in West Virginia, they're a little more lenient. It was just growing $1,000. So everybody's got their experience. I want to make sure we get through the rest of it. But let's hear from Luke and then Ray. In Oklahoma, you have, you have to show the land has been in some kind of production of something, not, not necessarily vegetables. And they have not asked us for any fruits and sales or anything like that. Yeah. Okay, so this is just illustrating the point that it varies. Yes, yes. There are other things. Very good point. Wildwood got two hoop houses out of this and I think a whole irrigation system. So it's not just for hoop houses. So again, you know, this is the kind of thing you don't know how long it's going to last. It can change very quickly. So I would encourage you to look into it. It's through the, NR, the National Resource Conservation Service. It's called the EQUIP grant. Um, you know, get it while it's there. Let's use this money for the Lord's work. That's my opinion. So how much money do you need to start a farm? That's a big question. And there's no simple answers. You know, you have to, do you already own land? Because that's a whole different ballpark if you don't own land. And if so, what kind of infrastructure is there? Are there houses? Are there barns? You know, is it modifying or is it actually building stuff? So lots of things to think about. What's your water source like? I, you know, faith is important. But to get into farming without a reliable water source, I think, borders on presumption. Um, so, you know, are you going to be able to irrigate your crops? So that can be a big thing. It may not be. But so I'm, I'm going to throw out a number here. But again, recognize that that there are so many variables here. Um, I would say in an ideal world, assuming you already own land and you already own a house um, and you're just building farm infrastructure, that you would ideally have twenty-five dollars to $30,000 to invest. And that will put up your starter greenhouse. You know, you need a heated greenhouse to start your plants. That will get your irrigation infrastructure in place. That will get you a basic set of tools for, mar you know, that's not going to, well, it might buy you an old tractor, but, you know, the market gardening that I'm trying to promote, you don't even need a tractor. Now, a tractor can be nice. In fact, it can be very nice. Uh, the front loader of a tractor, best tool on the farm. <laughs> Um, but it's not necessary. So, um, 
Will you spend a lot more than that on your farm? Yes, you will. As you build it, I mean, you could spend, you know, $150,000 if you built it all at once. Um, but you don't have to do that. And, and I wouldn't encourage you to do that unless you have the knowledge to match your investment. Okay. So, yeah. So, well, so I'm, oops. I'm almost done here. So, how are you going to do, where's that money going to come from? Well, um, we've talked about a couple of things. You know, number one, don't underestimate God's ability. But, you know, you, you can get creative with financing. Uh, you know, I, I want to be kind of careful about encouraging you to borrow from relatives because that can go south really quick. Um, but there may be there may be creative financing methods that you can come up with where you don't have to go to a bank. And actually, it's very hard to get a loan from a bank to start a farm. In fact, almost impossible. Um, but, you know, can you, can you work off farm? You know, I'll, I'll just put in a little plug for Farmer's Friend, my son's company. They've just started uploading a series of videos and the first one came out this week on 10 mothers farm in north carolina young couple starting a farm she worked off the farm and her income you know they don't have kids yet her income supported them and he worked on the farm and so all everything the farm earned they were just plowing back into the farm so they've been able to, you know, they're only farming an acre or less than an acre of land. And it seems to be working. You know, I don't know their numbers, but they've only been doing it a few years and it's going well. Amen. So I'm going to point you here. And, you know, rather than trying to go through all these different funding options, this is a really good website that I only became familiar with recent, well, as I was researching for this, but beginningfarmers.org, beginningfarmers.org. And when you go to that website, look for funding resources for farmers. And there's, it's a, it's a pretty exhaustive list both government and private, both loans and grants. And, um, you know, hopefully you can find... So you're going to have to do a little sleuthing and a little bit of work. And, you know, you're going to have to jump through some hoops. But there is money out there. And I will say this as well. There is money for... I'm trying to think of some of the terminology they use um, underserved um, or minorities which of course includes women mm -hmm. as well as as people of color um, you know I think Native Americans 
these groups, if you fall into any of those categories, it's easier to get funding, I think. So go to that website and um, look at the resources. There's lots of resources there. And go to the Lord. I think I'm going to stop at this point and we can have some discussion. Sorry, I took a little longer than I was planning, but we've got 10 minutes here. So let's let's talk a little bit. I would like to hear some discussion on growing hemp. <laughs> um, discussion on growing hemp. Wow. You know, I I should say I haven't studied into it myself, but I, I didn't feel comfortable with the whole concept. When, when everybody dived in all at once, that scared me. And even if I was inclined to want to do it, I think that would have scared me off because there's no way all those people are going to make money on it. Um, there's going to be a lot of people that lose a lot of money on hemp. And there's going to be some people that make a lot of money on hemp. Um, so that's just purely from a, a market point of view. Now, you know, as far as health and moral point of view, um, you know, I would say maybe talk to Larry Lesher because he said he, said he has studied into it and he would not encourage it at all. Okay, what about incorporation? Wow. You know, you know, again, I'm not the right person to do this because I'm not a business person and I really like to keep things simple. And, um, you know, of course, the whole point of a corporation is to avoid personal liability. At least that's kind of how I see it. Um, I've been told by more than one person that, you know, if there's if if a lawyer is going to try to sue you, they're not going to sue you if you don't have anything to take, basically. And and I know that's rather simplistic, and I'm sure there are exceptions to that. So I don't want to. I have to be careful with what I say here. And I think we've got a lawyer back here, so actually I shouldn't be saying anything. <laughs> um, but, you know, a small little farm, so they're going to sue you for a million dollars? You know, they can take your farm, but they're not going to get a million dollars. So... I probably shouldn't have said that, but um, I think maybe sometimes, yeah, well, I, I better stop. Um, so I'll just say this. We were an LLP when my brother and I were together. We had, it was a partnership, but because their family kind of moved on with their kids and everything, the partnership ended. And we just went back to a DBA, 
a sole proprietorship. It's simple, you know. I mean, we were paying a thousand dollars, I think, in tax for tax preparation for our LLP, and you know, a, a sole proprietorship is not much different than personal taxes. So it just is so much simpler, in my opinion. And I better stop there. Okay, yeah, so, so there are some financial advantages. And, and again, I would say, you know, obviously the more you make, the more this becomes an issue. Um, but you are able to, to um, oh, I can't even think of the right word, to deduct and stuff expenses by doing that. So I don't want to discourage anyone from doing that. I just was too quick to share my own opinions. Um, yes, right here, and then I see one in the back. I didn't understand so much about that. I don't know. I, I haven't heard of any kind of official stand on it. Yeah, I think we want to kind of stay away from that for now because I feel like that's going to open up a big can of worms, um, hemp growing. You know, yeah. Okay, in the back. Praise God. So he's giving a testimony of somebody who, an Adventist who had land and was thinking to move out and never happened. So now the Lord has blessed him to have to use it. Yes. Can you explain more on T-A-E-P? Tennessee Agricultural Enhancement Program. Probably I should just save that for afterwards. That's only for Tennessee residents. But since since many of you aren't Tennessee residents, I won't take time, but I'm happy to talk to you afterwards on that. Okay, wow. We answered all the questions. How do you make a small farm sustainable? So this is somebody who didn't, you know, there's been this mentality out there that, in, in fact, it was, it's been encouraged by the USDA, get big or get out. Mm. Well, it's not true. There are thousands of small farms across the country making comfortable incomes. And, you know, some actually doing very well. Um, you know, I would, I would point you to Connor Crickmore as probably the pinnacle right now of that he's making big money on an acre just over an acre without any tractor just using hand tools so what are they growing they're growing um the highest value crops they can and so the, the, the reason why they're succeeding is because people across the country are waking up to the fact that our food system is broken and it's corrupt and, and it's unhealthy. And so they're trying to connect with farms that are local, that are organic, whether they're certified or not, and trying to be able to trust their food again. You go to the store 
and you don't know what you're eating. So that's what it's based on. But things, you know, things that don't ship as well or store as well, you know, like lettuces, um, greens, salad greens, um, carrots, uh, tomatoes, of course, are always big. Those kind of crops. There's, there's, you know, really only five or six big money makers. Um, lettuce, um, tomatoes. For us, carrots are big. Beets are actually big. Um, what else, honey? Any of the salad greens. Um, kale, kale is a good one. You don't make money on broccoli. Cabbage. Yeah, strawberries. Yeah, any kind of fruit. Small fruit is big. Okay, I think we'll take one or two more questions and then we'll wrap it up here. Yes. idea of how many of my interns have started or our interns have started farms not as many as I wish I can say that Alan Seiler is our star star intern but he would have started a farm whether he'd come to our place or not so um, you know so not all of them come wanting to start a farm some of them just want the experience so you're going to have to cut out that group. And then the others, uh, it's more, well, I mean, yeah, there's multiple ones, some of them who are here, who would love to start a farm, but they don't have the means. Well, that's what I was asking for, is because I'm wondering if starting some kind of a co-op to help beginners. Yes. I, I would love to, you know, my, my brainstorm, and, I, and some others have a similar idea, would be to have um, funding available, you know, interest-free loans that you would have to qualify. You'd have to have some experience and some knowledge, but you would get a loan. You might have you might not need to repay, start repaying for a couple of years to get your feet on the ground, and then you pay it back, and that money then goes to somebody else. Maybe something like uh, the conferences have these revolving funds? Exactly, yeah. I think that could be huge to help people get into it. Yeah, a revolving fund kind of thing. Okay, two more, and then we're stopping. Sabbath is coming. Yes, ma'am. Mm. Okay, so how do you, if you're alone, how do you get help? Because it's pretty hard to run a farm alone. Uh, you know, AdAgra is trying to develop kind of a classified thing that I would like to see developed more where you know people who are needing farmers can put up things and people who are needing a farm or a partner farmer you know kind of a, a networking 
a bulletin board kind of thing. So, you know, that's one option. And, and even here, you know, there's that connect board. Have you seen that by the entrance to the gym? People have put up signs from, from South America. Outside of oh, outside of America. Wow. We, there's big potential and big need, but to my knowledge, there's nothing out there. Yeah, I'm, I'm full of ideas. I'm an idea person. And I, I, another thing I would love to see is agricultural mission trips. So, you know, you have a need. You're trying to start a farm down there. A group of us come and help you put up your hoop houses and get your infrastructure in place. I think it'd be wonderful. We just need somebody to, to organize it and make it happen. Okay, one more, and then we'll, we'll close. And so he's just pointing out the demand for local food is high. And, and I agree, although in certain areas, the influx of new farmers is also high. So, but I would say overall, the demand is outpacing the supply. So there is a lot of potential. We haven't we haven't lost it yet. Even though we're not the head, we can regain the head and not be the tail any longer. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the time we've had together here, for the discussion we've had. Lord, you know each person's situation here. You know where you want them. And I pray that if you want them on farms, that you would open the way. You open the Red Sea, you can open the way for them to be on a farm. I pray that something that was said here can be encouraging to them and that they would move forward boldly, but wisely, confidently, but carefully. And bless us now as we enter into your Sabbath rest. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.